Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. I hope you guys are doing good today. If you have your Bibles, open it up to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to get there in just a minute. We are starting a brand new series today we're calling Peaks and Valleys. And in this series, we are going to be looking at uh, various aspects of the life of Elijah. Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. We'll talk about him here in just a minute. But uh, in this series, we're going to discover some of the peaks and the valleys that Elijah went through and um, some of the lessons that we can incorporate and apply to our lives today. So 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, we're going to jump right in it. This is Elijah. This is his first time on the scene of Scripture. Here we go. Elijah or 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, it says this. Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, who was the king of Israel at the time, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve. And so Elijah was making it very clear that Jehovah God, the God of Israel, the God that chose Israel to be his special possession, the God that Elijah is in service to, the God that Elijah is speaking for that's the God Jehovah God as surely as the Lord the God of Israel lives the God I serve there will be no rain or dew during the next few years until I give the word verse 2 then the Lord said to Elijah so uh, Elijah gives his message to King Ahab and then the very next verse um, the Lord speaks to Elijah and he says this go to the east and hide everyone say hide Um, go to the east and hide. That word hide um, sort of speaks to isolation. It, it It has lonely implications. Now, I know that all of you have gone and played hide and seek, and and the best hiding spots are those tight little places that you can wiggle yourself in. There's only room for you. But when you have kids, hide and seek changes a little bit. When you have kids, you you go hide, especially if you're the dad, you go hide, and you have like two or three little girls that want to go hide with you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like the youngest is always like, Daddy, can I hide with you? And you say, no, you can't hide with me because every time we go and hide, we stop and we get quiet for a second and then you start having to go potty and I'm like we just went no so so when you speak of this aspect of hiding there is this implication of it's you know you're going to be alone right it's going to be alone then the Lord said to Elijah go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook near where it enters the Jordan River so let me give you a little bit of background about what's happening here the context of the the culture and the nation and who the kings or who the king and queen were So in this, Elijah is a prophet, and during his life, the life of Elijah, God uses him in some amazing ways to accomplish some just mind-blowing and wonderful things. We're going to talk about those in the next couple of weeks. Um, uh, Elijah um, was just such an awesome man of God that he experienced mountaintop moments that many of us could only dream of. In fact, Elijah was a man in scripture who didn't even die, okay? So Elijah walked faithfully with God for so long that that God looked down at Elijah and said, he has done everything that I've asked him to do. And so God sent a, a divine taxi service from heaven. Scripture says a chariot of fire came down from heaven, 
parked right alongside Elijah, said, saddle up, partner. Elijah jumps on to the fire of the chariot of fire, and he takes him to heaven without dying. How many know that's not a terrible day, right? <clears throat> like, man, I just followed God so faithfully, he just scooped me up, but I didn't even die. Like, awesome, right? Elijah was awesome. Elijah uh, was so great at following the Lord and, and declaring the word of God and establishing a legacy that, that Elijah's predecessor, Elisha, had the same anointing, the same mantle of authority. In fact, Scripture says it was doubled that of Elijah's, and, and it, that legacy just increased and continued, and God used Elisha, Elijah's predecessor, to do even more things than Elijah did. But it all stirred from Elijah's anointing. He was an awesome man of God. Awesome. In fact, one of Elijah's greatest moments, one of his, his greatest mountaintop experiences was when he had this massive, epic spiritual showdown on top of Mount Carmel. And so what happens is, and we'll talk about this here in the next couple of weeks, I don't know, me or RJ, somebody's going to talk about this in the next couple of weeks, but um, they have this, this moment, they have this contest. It, it was like the Super Bowl on steroids there on top of Mount Carmel, right? And so what, what we have here is we have 450 prophets of Baal, We'll talk about Baal in just a minute, but we have 450 prophets of Baal on one side, and then we have one lonely prophet of Israel, Elijah, on the other side, and they set up this contest to see whose God is stronger, and so they, they set up altars, and they prepare sacrifices, and the contest was that we both pray to our God, the prophets of Baal pray to Baal, Elijah would pray to his God, and the God that responds with fire the God that shoots fire out of heaven and ignites the altars would be the winner, so to speak. And so, and so the prophets of Baal, the 450 prophets of Baal, they go first and they're praying and they're, they're cutting themselves and they're doing all sorts of chants and seances to try to get Baal to respond. And, um, and, and Elijah would have made a, a great like cornerback in the NFL because he was talking some serious smack to them. He was saying, hey guys, maybe you need to holler a little louder. Maybe he's sleeping. That's is what scripture says Elijah is saying. And then he says, maybe he's in the bathroom. Try again. And, and they're doing everything they can. And, and Baal doesn't respond. And so Elijah says, okay, guys, that's enough. It's my turn. He goes over. He says like a quick 10-second prayer. And then God responds with such power, with such might, with such awesomeness from heaven that not only does it ignite the, the, the sacrifice and the altar, it completely consumes everything. Just boom, gone. Right? How many of you know that's not a bad day either? <laughs> you say a prayer from heaven, and wham! You're like, wow, that is, that's... So Elijah is the real deal. He has that moment on top of Mount Carmel where God shows himself powerfully as a result of Elijah's prayer. So what's happening as the story of Elijah begins is that Ahab, the king of Israel, has allowed his wife, Queen Jezebel, to introduce the worship of Baal amongst the nation of Israel. And not only was it her goal to introduce the worship of Baal amongst the nation of Israel, like adding him to the shelf and be like, hey, you can serve God too, but you can serve uh, Baal as well. She wanted to completely eradicate the worship of Jehovah God, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, the God that we serve. Um, she wanted to completely eradicate the worship of God, Jehovah, and replace it with the worship of Baal. And so... She wasn't the greatest person um, as far as the family of God goes. So let me talk about Baal, and I've shared this before. Baal was a 
Phoenician fertility god, and he was responsible for sending rain and producing bountiful, fertile crops for the nation. And so the worship of Baal included um, all sorts of things like temple prostitution, uh, um, uh, self-mutilation, uh, all sorts of unspeakable, immoral behaviors, um, orgies, different things like that to please and appease Baal, this fertility god, and to ensure that Baal would send the rain and make sure that the crops, they had a bountiful supply. And so Elijah essentially says, um, look, I know that, that you are pushing the worship of Baal and, and the people of Israel are beginning to worship Baal, but I want you to know Baal has no power over the rain and God's going to prove it to you because he's shutting the tap off. There's going to be no rain in the heavens. Now, rain was important for the Jewish people. They, they depended on the seasonal rains for their crops. And, and um, we know uh, because we read and we trust the Bible and from what we see of God's miraculous hand over creation and nature that we know that it's Jehovah God and not Baal who commands the rains. Amen? That there is nothing that doesn't happen or there's nothing that happens that is outside Jehovah God's control. The rains don't come as a result of Baal's favor. The rains come because God commands the rains to come. And so... Um, if the rains didn't come, it wouldn't take very long for a famine to engulf the land, engulf the nation of Israel. Whenever you read the Old Testament, um, if they speak of a famine or allude to a famine or threat of a famine, it always has spiritual and religious complication or implications there in the Old Testament. Um, whenever famine does hit a nation, it's a result of judgment that God is pouring out on a nation. And so at this time, God wasn't happy with the king and the queen of Israel. God wasn't happy with the leadership of Israel. God wasn't happy with the people of Israel who were beginning to lean in to the worship of Baal a little bit. So again, with all of that in mind, in this great contest between Baal, the rain god, and, uh, and basically the elimination of Jehovah God as the deity of Israel, consider again what Elijah says. He says, as surely as the Lord the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Essentially, Elijah goes into the throne room, speaks to King Ahab, and says, look, you can pray to Baal all you want. You can cut yourself as many times as you want to cut yourself. You can have as many temple orgies as you think are necessary, but the Lord God who I serve, the Lord God who I serve, Jehovah God, has given me the power to shut off the rain supply over the land and there will be not one drop of rain in Israel. And when you wake up in the morning, there will not be one drop of dew for the next three years until I, Elijah, give the word. The announcement and judgment was making it crystal clear that Baal was powerless in Israel and God, Jehovah, was powerful in Israel. As a result of Elijah's conversation with King Ahab and as a result of his obedience to Jehovah God, now I think this is important, I think we have to understand this, Elijah did everything that God asked him to do, yes? Elijah was obedient to deliver this message to King Ahab. Elijah said to Ahab everything that God wanted him to say to Ahab. And so as a result of Elijah's obedience to Jehovah God, Elijah's life is now in danger. 
Elijah could have stayed safe. He could have stayed secure if he would have just kept his mouth shut. But Elijah spoke up for God, spoke what God wanted him to do. And as a result, his life is now in danger. This is going to ignite Ahab and especially Jezebel's wrath. And essentially what happens is they put a price out on Elijah's head. They want him dead, okay? Um, because if, if it doesn't rain, you know, he's going to take the credit and it's going to, to make Baal seem small. And, 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 and they want to, to shut him up. They want to eradicate him. They want to eliminate him. And so they want him dead. How dare this man defy the king and queen of Israel? And how dare this man defy their preferred God that they're championing Baal? They want him dead. So God tells Elijah, go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook. Now, Kareth Brook is important. It's a place where God um, tells Elijah to go hide. And I want you to hear this. Kareth means cut off. The name Kareth actually means cut off. So God tells Elijah to go and hide in a deserted place. I want you to go hide in a place that is cut off from everyone else. I'm not going to send anybody there with you. I'm not going to send anybody there to take care of you. I'm not going to send anybody there to encourage you. I'm not going to send anybody there to lift you up. I'm not going to send anybody there to pat you on the back. I'm not going to send anybody there that's going to, to, to clap for you and say, you know what, I know what you're doing is really tough, and I know it feels really lonely, but I believe in you, and I just want you to keep going. God says, I'm not sending anybody else to Kareth. I want you to go to Kareth, this place that is completely separated and completely completely isolated. And there in Kareth, you will remain for some time that is utterly, completely, and painfully alone. And so essentially, Elijah's reward for obedience to God is this place of total isolation. Now, we often talk in, in, in the church about the body of Christ and, and connecting to the body of Christ and the family of God. And, and we, we talk about the North Shore Connect because we, we know how important it is for people to get connected to the body of Christ and how much power there is when you are surrounded by a, a group of like-minded believers that can pray for you and encourage you and, and, and lift you up and support you in everything. Um, the family of God, it matters matters. It is crucial. It is important. That's why we push equip classes and life groups and all this. Find a way to connect to the family of God, to the body of Christ. I remember the old hymn uh, that, that said, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Anybody remember that old one? You know, I'd sing it for you, but you wouldn't like it anymore. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. In this language, as, as we talk about the family of God, produces images in our minds of people smiling and, and laughing and gathered around in a circle singing kumbaya and, um, and people eating meals and potlucks full of desserts and, and, and just people hanging out and loving on each other and smiling and telling appropriate jokes, right, and, and just having a good time. Um, I remember in Bridgeport when we were growing up in the church there, it was the church that Pastor Mel pastored. We used to have potlucks in the fellowship hall all the time, and, and, and we just loved it. And the adults were over here talking about politics or whatever the adults were talking about. And uh, we were over here playing Puma and Ninja and, and other things. And I remember we had a coat rack there, and um, all the hangers on the coat rack, they weren't like the cool plastic hangers that we have now. They were the old metal hangers. And um, we would always do this. Every single time we would have potluck, we'd always go over there, and a couple of us would stand on that coat rack, and we'd play Cowboys and Indians. I know you're not supposed to say that anymore, but that's what we played it. And, um, and 
the, uh, the metal hangers were our bow and arrows. And so we would take those metal hangers and we, you know, that was our, we'd pull it out and we'd bend it, you know, as far as we could. And then we'd shoot it. The problem was it wouldn't bend back. And so we'd have to hang that one up and grab another one and bend that one too. And so all of the metal hangers were like straight up and down. And it didn't work. And my dad and my grandpa yelling, stop doing this to the hangers. I'm like, well, got to tell those cowboys to stop attacking and we'll stop shooting them. So, but, but it was that place where everybody was together and we were building relationships and having a good time and connecting and it was the body of Christ, it was the family of God and we believed each other and each other and we supported each other and we loved each other. And that's true and, and that's great and that's wonderful and I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I am. Anybody else? I am. But, but the truth is that sometimes following Christ can be incredibly isolating. There are times when obedience to Christ will lead us to careth. There are times when, when we are walking in right relationship and walking in obedience and doing the hard things that God asks us to do and he takes us to the place not surrounded by a bunch of people that are gonna lift us up on their shoulders and cheer us and say hip, hip, hooray, but there's sometimes he's gonna take us to Kareth and say as a result of your obedience, I'm going to take you to a place of isolation. Sometimes we find ourselves in the valley of isolation not because we ignored Christ, not because we took a wrong turn, not because we, we, we knew what God wanted us to do, but did the opposite. Sometimes we find ourselves in the valley of isolation because we have done exactly everything that God has asked us to do. And sometimes he says, now I want you to go to Kareth. Not everyone is going to shout amen when we proclaim God's word. Not everyone is going to slap you on the back and say, that's a good word, brother, when you speak the truth of scripture. Now, I, I gotta tell you, <clears throat> this right here, up here in this place, this is the easiest place in the world to speak the truth of scripture. This is, this is the easiest place to declare the truth about the word of God. I have it easy. Many of you, where you go out into your, into your jobs, that's where it's tough. In, in your relationships, many of you, you, you get together with your family and friends, and not all of them are believers. You begin to speak the word of God. You begin to declare the truth of God in your home. That's where it's tough. It's not hard here. Everybody's coming here expecting to hear these things. When you begin to speak those in those capacities that you have influence, that's where it gets really tough. Not everybody's going to say amen. Not everybody's going to pat you on the back and say, good word. Speak God's word about sexual, uh, about sexual integrity and you won't hear a lot of amens. When you proclaim that God's, what God's word says about homosexuality, you're not gonna hear a lot of pats on the back or you're not gonna get a lot of pats on the back. It's gonna be really isolating. Start talking about spiritual authority and people get real quiet real fast. Start teaching and practicing spiritual discipline and you're gonna make some enemies real quick. Not everybody gets excited to hear the truth of God's word. And if ever a person would have the audacity to even hint at the fact that maybe God might still, from time to time, sort of operate in divine judgment, you're going to realize real quick that you're beating that drum all by yourself. Not everybody shouts amen when you start proclaiming God's word. Sometimes the proclamation of God's word will take you through careth. Sometimes... 
speaking God's word is going to take you to that place of isolation. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. It's going to feel lonely. When I, when I was in college, I go into college, um, <clears throat> I remember my parents came with me to Springfield for the first time. I went to college in Springfield, Missouri at Central Bible College. And, uh, and they, they brought me there and they got all of my stuff. They helped me unload all of my stuff and get connected and find my classes and do all of that stuff. And, and we went to Walmart and got like three months worth of laundry detergent which I maybe used half a week's worth of laundry detergent because if it didn't smell terrible, you just throw it on again. That's college, amen? Anybody else? That's what it was me. Uh, that's what it was like for me. But, and then, you know, she gives you, like, you know, all the deodorant that you can handle and different things like that. And if you have enough deodorant, you don't have to use laundry detergent, so that's a win. And so um, as she was leaving, they were abandoning me there in college. They were going to go home, and, and I was going to be there all by myself. Um, Mom... Uh, before she leaves, she hands me a sheet of paper, and on the sheet of paper, it was a MapQuest route um, of directions how to get home, okay? So on one side, it was the directions from Springfield to Broken Bow, which was where I lived, and on the other side, it was directions from Broken Bow to Springfield. Not only did she hand me this sheet of paper, but this sheet of paper with the map instructions was laminated, Okay? <laughs> Now listen, when your mommy, okay, hands you a sheet of instructions that's laminated, how many of you know that's not a suggestion, right? Like, you keep this, you use this, this is the route I want you to take. And this is what she said. She said, Chris, listen to me, look me in the eyes, I want you to take this route, she said, I don't want you to lose this paper. I don't want you to print off a new route on your map quest there. I want you to take this route. It's laminated. This is the route. And she said, because if you print off your own instructions, it's going to take you down a street and through a neighborhood in Kansas City that I don't want you to go. Take the long way around. And we had a conversation. I said, yes, mom, okay, I'll take the long way around. Good night. And, uh, and so she says, put this in your car, put it in your glove box, and every time you come home or go to college, you take the long way around. Then she tells me a story of a guy who got a flat tire coming home from college on that road in Kansas City, and he was murdered. I think she was lying. I think it was just for effect. <laughs> if you take your route, you'll die. You know, so don't take the long way. So every time to and from school, we would, my mom would call and she would make sure, Chris, you got snacks in the car? Yes, I got snacks. I'll stay awake. You got a full tank of gas? Yes, I got a full tank of gas. Do you have your laminated instructions? <laughs> yes, mom, I have the lamb. Make sure you take the long way around. She didn't want her precious little baby getting lost and getting hurt. Come on. I wasn't the baby of the family, but I was the favorite. So it was pretty important <laughs> for her that I make it home. <clears throat> Just speaking truth here, just speaking truth. She would say, take the long way around. She did everything she could to make sure I reached my destination in the safest, easiest, and most comfortable way possible. Any moms in this place done the same thing for their college kids, right? Cut the cord, let them go, man. That's mom's job, right? Keep them safe, keep them comfortable, keep them well-fed. Take the long way around. But you know what I've come to realize is that God doesn't always take us the long way around, does he? God doesn't always say, thank you for choosing to follow me. 
looks like it's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. Now, if you just sit back, kick your feet up, and enjoy yourselves, the angels are going to be coming through the galley with hot towels and refreshments. <laughs> it's going to be great. We wish that was the case, don't we? Sometimes we tell ourselves that if I had more faith, if I just believed, that would be the case. But the reality is, God isn't your mama who's nervous about you arriving safely. God's not worried about you. God's not nervous that you're going to get yourself in a situation that he can't get himself out of because God holds us all in the palm of his hand. God says, look, I'm not worried about you because there is no trouble you can get yourself in that I'm not there able to get you out of. So God's not worried about us. And, and, and because God's not worried about us, God's not always going to provide your favorite snack along the way. Amen? God, I need gummy bears and Pepsi. Help me out. God's not going to do that. God isn't going to always give you a sheet of laminated instructions to tell you, you take this path so that you can avoid all potential pain. God's not going to do that. Sometimes God's going to come to you and say, look, I got a mission for you. I got a destiny in mind for you on top of Mount Carmel. And on Mount Carmel, I am going to anoint you. I am going to bless you. I'm going to show up in an awesome, powerful way. And fire is going to fall from heaven. It's going to completely consume all fear, all worry, all doubt. It's going to completely consume the altar that you've set up to honor me, to represent my name. And as a result of your faithful obedience on Mount Carmel, there's going to be a revival that's ignited in the nation of Israel. And you are going to utterly and totally defeat Baal and all 450 prophets. I got a divine destiny for for you on Mount Carmel. But listen, in order to get to Mount Carmel, you gotta go through Kareth. There will be times that God will take you through valleys you don't wanna go in order to place you on top of the mountain of your greatest victory. And we, because we care an awful lot about our own personal comfort, we say things like, but God, wouldn't it be better if we took the long way around? God, isn't it your job to keep me feeling good? God, isn't it your job to keep me feeling comfortable? God, isn't it your job to make me happy? God, isn't it your job to make my life better in every way possible? God, isn't it your job to, to ignite my path or to light my path so that I don't get hurt in any way emotionally, physically, spiritually, in any way? God, aren't you there to protect me? Aren't you supposed to keep me safe, happy, well, and secure? Why would you send me to Kareth? Why would you send me to this place of isolation? God, wouldn't it be more beneficial for you and for me if I was in a place of influence, surrounded by a bunch of people? Be more effective. And because we're so concerned with our comfort, we fail to realize that God has a plan for Kareth. That God has a plan in the valley of isolation. That God is going to reveal himself in those moments. God is going to reveal himself to us in Kareth in this valley of isolation, like he won't anywhere else. That God is going to speak so clearly to us. That God is going to show us and prove to us 
that even when there's people not celebrating, even when those people are not cheering you on, even when those people are not patting you on the back, even when nobody else is encouraging you, that God is still there and he's enough. Verse four, it says this. God tells him, he offers some more instructions. When you go to Kareth, drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and, the, and he drank from the brook. So think about this. <clears throat> He's in this place. Nobody else is there. Nobody else is to provide. You know, he doesn't have a cook there with him. He's there all by himself in isolation in Kareth, completely isolated. And so God becomes Elijah's divine provider. God gives Elijah everything he needs, and God becomes Elijah's personal chef for several months. It wasn't meals on wheels, it was meals on wings. And every single day, Elijah would look up and he would see the ravens coming in with cheeseburgers and steaks, right? And, and, and in this place of isolation, where Elijah had nobody else to turn to, nobody else to depend on. Every single morning, he would look up, he would see the ravens come in, and he would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is there and God is enough. Sometimes when you're following Christ, you'll, he will lead you through valleys. He might take you through the valley of the shadow of death, the valley of loss, the valley of abandonment, the valley of rejection. Have you ever been there? The valley of accusation, the valley of defeat, the valley of pain, the valley of isolation. Sometimes following Christ is going to lead you to Kareth. And it's not fun to be there. It's not our favorite place. And often we'll begin to think, what am I doing here? I need to get out of this place. Maybe if I pray harder. Maybe, maybe if I try to get my mind right, maybe if I find a new hobby, maybe if, if I begin to exercise, but it's important to know that God works through the seasons that seem pointless. Because though you don't fully understand why he would lead you to Kareth, you begin to realize that he has not abandoned you at Kareth. You begin to realize that when you operate in obedience, there is no place that's cut off from God. That when you are faithful to do what God tells you to do, even when you go to that place in Kareth that is completely cut off from everybody else, you are not cut off from God. That God is there, and he's keeping you, and he's providing for you, and he's sustaining you. That when you feel that pain of isolation, you are not isolated from God. That it's in that place of Kareth that you begin to hear the voice of God. Because there's going to come a day when you're standing on top of Mount Carmel and there's 450 prophets of Baal and they're all chanting and they're all praying and they're all begging Baal to respond. And in that moment, if you don't know for sure the voice of God, if you don't clearly recognize the voice of God, you're going to become distracted by all of this nonsense. But because you spent time in Kareth, because you were in that place of isolation, because that isolation began to turn to intimacy and now because of that intimacy you know beyond a shadow of a doubt what God's voice sounds like in your life it doesn't matter what all the distractions become because even in those most intense moments you know beyond a shadow of a doubt what God's voice sounds like and when he says pray for the fire you pray for the fire and it comes down and completely consumes that's the point of Kareth that's the point of Kareth you hear God's voice 
You realize that he's never going to leave you. He's never going to abandon you. You realize in Kareth that God is always going to provide for you. In Kareth, you realize that it is Christ. That's all you need. That's all you need. You don't need anyone else's approval. You don't need anybody else patting you on the back. You don't need anybody else lifting you up. You just need Jesus. And it's the lessons that you learn in Kareth that will give you the courage to call down fire on the mountain. Now, some of you are living in Kareth right now. You're in that valley of isolation, and, and you, you're about to quit. You're feeling so hopeless, so lost, so defeated. You're beginning to question, why am I even trying? Why am I going through this? It's just not working. I want you to know that God is preparing you right now in Kareth for a mighty victory on Mount Carmel. He's not planning for you to live forever in Kareth, but he's using Kareth as a time to prepare you for a great victory on Mount Carmel. The lessons and the truth that God is revealing to you at this moment when no one is watching, when you feel completely isolated and cut off, the lessons and the truth that God is revealing to you at this moment when no one is watching are going to be the things that God uses to reveal himself through you when everyone is watching. What God equips in you in Kareth, he's going to reveal about himself on Carmel. I want to share one more verse here, a couple more verses with you, and then we're going to close. Verse 7, but after a while the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the, in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. What becomes odd in this is that God is faithful in the big things, but he seems to be lacking in the smaller things. God is faithful and able to command the ravens on a daily basis to go and feed Elijah with, like, meat. But he forgets to keep water in the brook. And it seems like if God was able to do the big thing, how come he can't do this? It seems like it would be harder... I've never done miracles like that before, but if I did, it seems like it would be harder to command the ravens to feed rather than keep water in the brook. Does that make, you know what I'm saying? Like it seems like God was good in the bigger miracle, but, but failed in the lesser miracle. But I want you to see this, and I think it's extremely important. When Elijah declared the word of God to Ahab over the land of Israel, that no rain would come, that a drought is coming, it was the proclamation, the, the verbal proclamation of the word of God that led him to that place of isolation. He spoke it, and then it led him to isolation. But watch this. It was the fulfillment of the word of God. It was the, it was the actual, the fulfillment of the drought that brought him out of isolation. The threat of the drought led to Kareth. The fulfillment of the drought drove him out of care. Isolation is that gap between proclaiming God's word and the fulfillment of God's word. There is truth, there is promises, there are things that God is speaking over you, there are things that God is declaring over you, but they haven't been fulfilled and you feel completely isolated alone in Kareth. I want you to know there is going to be a day, there's going to be a time where the fulfillment of God's word is going to come real in your life and it's gonna drive you out of Kareth. Some of you are here today and you're struggling. You feel that isolation. God's word is about to be fulfilled in your life. And when that happens, you will step out of Kareth with more strength, power, and anointing 
than you realized you could ever contain going in. And this is for someone, I don't know who you are this morning, but you've been wrestling with some things and you've been questioning the plan and the path of God. You've been asking God, is there another way? Is there another way? Can we take the long way around? I want you to know he has victory in store for you. But the road to Mount Carmel often goes through Kareth. So don't feel defeated if you're in Kareth. Don't feel like it's a place of isolation because God has designed Kareth as a place of intimacy. Stand your feet all across this place. You know, what's crazy is that even Jesus had to go through Kareth. Think about the Garden of Gethsemane. When he prayed to God the night before he was crucified, he said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way, let's take the long way around. But then he says, not my will, but your will be done. See, Jesus knew that the only way to get to the victory of the resurrection was to go through the isolation of the cross. He says, not my will, yours be done. Jesus says, I will gladly go through Kareth to be able to stand victoriously at the resurrection. Now, some of you are in this place. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes real quick? Some of you are in this place and you feel like your whole life has been a journey through Kareth. You feel fully abandoned, fully alone, fully isolated. And maybe you feel that way because most importantly, you don't have a relationship with God because you don't understand what intimacy with Jesus looks like. Maybe you feel that way this morning because um, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus ever. And the reason why God allows you to stay at Kareth is because he is so desperately wanting to speak to you. He's so desperately wanting to rescue you. He's so desperately wanting to save you that he will allow you to stay in Kareth until you're ready to listen. And today for the first time, you're like, man, this Jesus is the answer. This Jesus is what I need. This Jesus is my savior. This Jesus is my rescuer. This Jesus is my God. And I want to put my trust in Jesus. And if that's you and you're here for the very first time, you would say, man, I, I, I need Jesus to rescue me. I need Jesus to save me. I need Jesus to redeem me. I want Jesus to be my God, my Savior, and my King. If that's you, and you've never said that before, but you want to today for the very first time, I'm going to count to three, and on the count of three, I want you to just raise your hand so we can pray with you. Jesus, you're the one. Jesus, you're my rescuer. Jesus, you're my Savior. I choose you today for the very first time. One, two, three. If that's you, would you raise your hand all across this place? I see hands going up. I hope you enjoyed today's message. If you have any more questions or would like more information, please visit us online at mynsag.com.